This is episode 241 with two-time Olympian, six-time American record holder, and 28-time U.S. champion, the one and only Molly Huddle. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features one of the greatest runners the United States has ever seen, Molly Huddle. But we're not going to talk about her training, her racing prowess, or her career. Instead, we're discussing her new book, How She Did It, which explores how women navigate the world of distance running. The sport can be more difficult for women, from navigating puberty to often being surrounded by all-male coaches. We'll find out what obstacles prevent women from realizing their dreams in the sport and how any woman can set herself up for success in running. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel, where we have hundreds of videos on effective strategies to stay healthy, my favorite strength routines for runners, training principles that never go out of style, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of my favorite companies that is investing heavily in the running community. They test your blood for dozens of biomarkers, so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be holding back your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal range. Get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash STRENGTHRUNNING. The code is STRENGTHRUNNING with no space, and all the details are at insidetracker.com slash STRENGTHRUNNING. We're also supported by TheraBody in their new Recovery Air Jet Boots, an advanced pneumatic compression system that gives you a pressure massage in your legs. So sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash Jason to get your Therabody Recovery Air today. Starting at just $699 or as low as $59 a month with a firm. Plus, with Recovery Air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping, there's no risk. That's therabody.com slash Jason. I'd also like to thank Tim for his review in Apple Music. This one really made my day. He wrote, I discovered this podcast while starting my rehab for a knee injury sustained during my last marathon. Jason has a great variety of guests, and they all have such great information to provide. There's rarely an episode where I don't hear something that makes me say, that's me. It's been a great reminder on how to keep yourself holistically healthy and that there's more to running than just running. Tim goes on in his review, but I want to stop there and really thank Tim for this. One of the reasons I'm sharing these reviews is because I want to share my thinking behind 
the episodes of this podcast. And Tim said that there's rarely an episode where I don't hear something that makes me say, that's me. And that's by design. Many of our episodes are because you have asked for them, or they're based on your running questions, or the episode responds to an issue that I'm seeing in the running community. So keep up the reviews and the feedback. They make the show even better. All right, our guest today likely needs no introduction. Molly Huddle is one of the best runners in the world, the American record holder in the 10K, the 20K, and half marathon. She represented the United States at the 2012 Olympics, qualifying for the 5,000-meter final and finishing 11th. She set the American record in the 10K at the 2016 Olympics, finishing fifth overall in a race where the world record fell. Later that same year, she made her marathon debut at the New York City Marathon, making the podium in a third-place finish. Now, Molly undoubtedly has range as a 5K and marathon runner and as a cross-country athlete, but she also has longevity. She's now been a pro runner for well over a decade, and that longevity is partly due to her mindset, the care she takes to stay healthy, and her unique training schedule. We talk a lot more about that in episode 168 of the podcast. But today we're talking about women in sport, specifically the barriers that exist for women, how the successful have navigated those boundaries, the footlocker curse, navigating social media, why puberty is so different for women and what that means for your running, and a lot more. Molly has just published a new book with her co-author Sarah Slattery called How She Did It, Stories, Advice, and Secrets to Success from 50 Legendary Distance Runners, and I hope you check it out. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Molly Huddle. You know, Molly, the last time that we talked, I think you teased this book. You said uh, you you had a new project. You can't. You couldn't really tell me too much what it was about. I think it was like December 2020 when we were talking about how your training had been going through COVID and, and what you had been focusing on. And now it's finally here. I have it right next to me. So it's really exciting. Um, Maybe we can start with just having you talk a little bit more about, you know, what made you want to write this book with your co-author, Sarah Slattery. Yeah, this book is a long time coming. It was it was quite a project. You know, it was um, something we were talking about in, let's see, Sarah called me December of 2019, probably. Um, and I had just gotten to Phoenix a few weeks earlier to do some training, winter training, and she lives there. And so... We were able to get together and talk about it and do some runs together and just talk about how like there's the conversation had just been opened up that, um, you know, it's clear sports are an empowering experience. But for a lot of girls, it it can be the opposite of that, depending on your surroundings, your support network, who you're influenced by. Um, and this there's been a long running stat that a lot of um Girls around the age of puberty, you know, between grades, I think it's like eight through 12, drop out at much higher rates from sports than boys do. And so kind of like, we just wanted to put a resource out there. You know, we were talking about it. We were like, what can we do? I mean, you're, Sarah now was a coach at the D1 level and we both had so much experience in the professional running world. We were like, what can we offer? Because we know women who made it, um, and we know women who did, didn't make it, like the, some of the girls at Foot Locker when we were running in high school, we would say, where are they, you know, two years into college? Where are they after college? Um, so we really wanted to address that. Um, it's something Sarah, it, there's a lot of issues we address in the book that Sarah sees as a coach and that we saw as athletes. And 
we just felt like a book is a good way to pass it around to friends, pass it around to other athletes who you think it'd be a good gift for. And just you can absorb it a bit more slowly. You know, there's a lot online. There's a lot of resources online, but we liked how this book was like something you could get through at your own pace and really let it sink in. Yeah, well, with the way that it's designed, like this is great. I'm going to put this on my coffee table and I hope my eight and a half year old daughter picks it up and starts looking through it and starts reading it. And it's funny that you mentioned Foot Locker because I happened to go to high school with a girl who was in my class and she was second at Foot Locker's when uh, she was a senior and she competed there as a junior. And so, you know, most of my high school career was spent running with, you know, the guys team and one girl with us because she was extraordinarily talented and uh, she didn't really compete too much in, in college and just nothing really happened to her career. Can you talk a little bit about the Foot Locker curse and sort of what that means? Yeah, so that's kind of like our, you know, runner insider colloquial term for like a larger pattern that is present elsewhere outside the US as well. But um, for example, Trent Stellingworth, who wrote one of the one of my favorite pieces in the expert section of the book, has some stats that even the world champion world junior championship medalists, 50% of them, the women, don't go on to compete even at the world senior championships. So um, Foot Locker is kind of a micro version of that, the high, best high school girls in the U.S. So we would say like the champions of the Foot Locker race. Um, they don't necessarily go on to mimic that at the NCAA level or the professional level. And they're clearly some of the most talented women in the country. So we just it's it's really um, kind of losing our talent or like we're obviously not serving our talent as well as we should be on the women's side, whereas on the men's side, the stats look different. And so we tried to break that down. And, um, you know, it's, it's a variety of reasons, I think, for girls. I think some of the reason you don't see those girls continue to compete at that level or compete at all is um, the trajectory of a girl's career looks different in sports because their puberty is so different than boys. You know, the boys get stronger, stronger, and better. The girls, it's a little more of a roller coaster, which we explain with better terminology in the book than that, but that's the gist of that. Um, And then, of course, there's so many eating disorders on the young girls' side of the sport that can derail their health. And so a lot of girls just don't continue through that period. Um, and there's a variety of other issues, you know, injuries at different rates, um, training maybe should look a little different. And so we tried to really combat that because, um, we've had such great empowering experiences in the sport, but it was because we were able to, to do it long enough, you know? And so we just kind of wanted that for more, more of our women. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is just sort of this, this, you know, epidemic of, of lost talent that, I just think is so sad as as a big fan of the sport, especially right now when American women's distance running is just surreal. I mean, it is awesome right now. I mean, records are going down all the time. American women's distance running is just so strong and at such a high peak right now. And you, you can only just sort of look back in hindsight and wonder what it might have been if there had been better support for these young athletes as as they were coming up. And you know, I was going to ask you, you know, what kind of obstacles pre- are helping to prevent these young athletes from kind of continuing with the sport and realizing their potential. And, and I was curious if, if some of it was, 
you know, the the environment that they find themselves in, or if some of the reasons were baked in disadvantages, you know, and you mentioned going through puberty and how, you know, with boys, they sort of just get stronger and stronger and women are more on this kind of roller coaster of up and downs. Can we talk a little bit more about why that is and, and maybe how you can better respond to it so that you're not just leaving a bunch of, of young women behind? Yeah, I think it's um, partially something that you hope the girls support network. So like her coaches, her parents, herself even understand that pattern. And so that's why we have it in the beginning of the book that like, um, you know, you may go through sort of a two steps forward, one step back phase in your running while you're going through puberty, but like you'll be stronger in the other side of it. So I feel like it's also dispelling about dispelling some sort of old school thinking where coaches would just say, oh, well, the girls are just better before puberty and they're done after. And like, that's so faulty and we don't want that messaging around. Um, so I think just kind of getting that message out, um, you know, educating coaches, parents, and the girls on nutrition, on um, optimizing strength, um, you know, not trying to be too thin because you look at the Olympic final and the women are thin. There's so much more to the story than that. Um, they need to be fueling well. They need to be um, looking out for signs of, like, we know more now about low energy availability and red S. And so we have experts like Stacey Sims talking about that in the book, just so that the girls enter that phase of, you know, it's a high performance guide. So if they're going to be really trying to like see how good they can be, whether they go to go on to run in college or at a high level or not, this is stuff you want them to know as far as like, you know, taking care of their body while they're trying to PR and um, just maintaining that healthy relationship with the sport. So those were kind of some of the things we were targeting, just like the awareness, getting the base knowledge out there. Um, and then in the second half of the book, the women we talk to kind of like, you see how that plays out in real life. Um, how does that play out in their actual career? What advice do they give you about those things? Yeah, I'd love to dive into this a little bit deeper here. You, you did talk about four different areas that are really important for long-term success as a young female athlete. Th those are your physical health and, and injury prevention, hormonal health, sound nutrition, and mental health too. Can you give us maybe the cliff notes on each of these areas and, and why each one is so important, particularly for young women? Definitely. And I think, you know, there's probably more than that. We were just trying to zero in on some of the larger ones that we've seen and, and that people have told us are, are impactful. Um, so physical health, I mean, I think every runner knows injury is the, the inevitable thing if you run long enough overuse injury. And so we have some good points in there. Uh, we talked to Dr. John Ball, who we talked to the specialists who have helped us through our career. So they're very qualified and it's very like current advice. Um, and so there's some basic injury prevention, talking about, you know, maintaining overall athleticism, kind of what basic exercises to focus on, um, just to avoid that repetitive injury stress. Um, we definitely talk a little bit about nutrition from our nutritionist. Um, just some great advice for, you know, avoiding things like red S, getting enough calcium and vitamin D to avoid bone injuries, getting enough protein to avoid, um, you know, lack of recovery. Um, so, yeah, we also include a section on hormonal health where we talk to a, a couple of specialists, one of them, Dr. Adam Tenforty, um, 
who just connects that to bone health. Um, you know, we know there's uh, a lot at play with girls as far as going through puberty and um, the warning signs of low energy availability, like losing your period. Dr. Stacy Sims comments on that. Um, and then our mental, sort of like mental health sports psychology section is probably the thing I get asked the most about if I go to something like a high school camp or a, um, do a speaking event at like a college team. I get asked a lot about, you know, pre-race anxiety, nerves, pressure. So we really wanted to talk to some specialists about um, things like getting through injury. You know, that can be tough on your mental health if running is so important to you and it's your world and you're kind of taken out of it when you're injured for a little while. Um, and then that we talked to Meg Waldron about that and we talked to Roisin McGettigan about um, some great strategies for dealing with race day anxiety. I, I think her section is going to um, connect really well. Yeah, and I had Stacy Sims on the podcast in episode 192, and, and we went pretty deep into all the differences between men and women. You know, she has her classic line, women are not small men, that I think is just a great encapsulation of, of how you would treat the sexes a little bit differently when it comes to, to training. Um, I'm particularly interested in hormonal health for young women, especially because, you know, running is such a demanding sport. And, and I think the differences between men and women at the hormonal level really make those differences even more pronounced. And so you, you have to zero in on that a little bit more. Um, can you talk about some of those hormonal differences in more detail and, and how young women athletes can address them? Yeah. So like if you're just getting into high level running as a teenager or grade schooler, it's, it's going to coincide with puberty, which is just so different for girls than it is for boys. Um, I think it's good just to understand what's happening and what it could do to your training and the long-term importance of, you know, health, being healthy and letting it happen and working with your body rather than against it. Cause I feel like sort of the old thinking was to just work against it, delay it, suppress it. Um, you know, not having your period was often overlooked or thought of as just some a byproduct of being fit. And so I think we know so much more now about how that really impacts so many systems in your body. I mean, if you are missing your period, that is a sign of low energy availability and it coincides with like a lot of other altered functions in your um, body, like reduced recovery rate, um, GI distress. There's a great list in the book. And I think it's in Stacy's book too. Um, it can alter your mood. It can increase, it can, um, affect bone healing, the rate of bone recovery. So you get more bone injuries and it can hurt the recovery from workout to workout. So you don't get the benefits of the workout. And so it's a hormonal cycle you want to avoid the low energy availability, low energy availability. And you really want to just kind of like have coaches recognize that too. Like, Hey, if one of your girls is going through this, um, maybe period of reduced performance while she's going through puberty, like there's other stats supporting that girls increase at a greater rate in their twenties, uh, and beyond that Trent has a good stat about that in his section. And so it's just like, being patient through that, knowing that women are the ones achieving world records, not girls. So you actually are stronger on the other side of that. And so it's important to 
um, not have the, like, I think if the girls are aware, they don't get demoralized when they go through those rough patches, they know to stick it out. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a seamless transition, but just for the ones where it's not just to know they're going to be stronger on the other side is I think important messaging. Yeah, it does sound really important. And would it, do you think it would be fair for me to say that puberty hits women a little bit more it's just a little harder for them to both be a runner and go through this normal thing that everyone is going to go through. And so if that's true, my question is, how do we then sort of change our training so that we're not, you know, spitting runners out the back of the, you know, the, the, the team. So they're not participating in track or cross country anymore. Uh, How can we be a little kinder to young women so that they actually stay with the sport? Yeah, I think Trent had some good points. He recommended, um, you know, one strategy is to go by minutes rather than miles. If you're doing, if you're like, let's say you're the coach of a men's and women's or a boys and girls uh, cross country team, the mi- the miles are going to be a little bit more wear and tear on the girls because they run a little bit slower and they're going through this phase. Um, so minutes is a little bit more accurate of a like gate, like a little bit more easier to keep the reins on them that way. Um, and I think just, yeah, like keeping that into perspective, if their performances aren't where they want to be, that maybe there's nothing they're doing wrong in training, encouraging them to keep doing the training, um, make sure the fueling is there pre and post run, you know, that's important. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't think it's like drastically different other than that. You still have to work hard. You still show up to practice. It's not like you take a bit, you just take a break during that time. (laughs) Um, it's just more just knowing like, Hey, your body's kind of, uh, doing something right now that is not a hundred percent, like one direction in parallel with your sporting career, but like they will line up again soon. Um, so I think it's more just like being aware of that too. Yeah. It's almost like puberty for girls is is similar to your progress as a runner. It's not going to be linear. There's going to be setbacks. And if you can just be kind to yourself during that process and that uh, p- time period of your life, then you're going to come out of it a lot stronger, like you said. And, you know, you and your co-author, Sarah, really brilliantly wrote, you know, the female athlete's kitchen requires a lot of specific tools. And you were talking about these differences between men and women, how, you know, women handle pressure differently. We've talked about how puberty is different. Um, Obviously, women go through menopause and men don't. Uh, Your bones even heal differently. I find these differences really fascinating. And uh, can, can we talk a little bit about how women handle pressure differently? Because I've never heard that before. And I'd love to learn more about it. I mean, I don't know that I, I wouldn't say we have a stat in there that like women have a higher rate of anxiety around racing or any I mean, I certainly know a lot of, um, you know, between my friends who are college coaches, I certainly know that hits both teams, men's and women's the, the pre race anxiety. Hi, uh, yes, think, I'm a head case as well. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like I, I think it's normal. I mean, even the pros deal with it. It's just a matter of managing it and maybe some of the strategies women may prefer over men. I don't know. But um, we just talk about how to manage it in the book. And so I think whoever's dealing with it could actually benefit from that. Um, there's definitely, I'm sure there's some extra pressures as far as being a female athlete and having to look a certain way. I mean, I think that's a whole category that men don't 
maybe deal with on the same level that women do. Um, that can be exacerbated by social media, uh, marketing. You know, you see certain images of runners that all look a certain way. And, um, you know, we really try, like there's really a variety of body types that can be world class runners or great runners. Um, so I think, you know, that might be something that is tough to, I mean, you want to prioritize strength with any female athlete and maybe the world outside of sports that girls are submerged in is telling them not to look strong. So you're kind of battling that with female athletes from the start. So I think there's maybe things like that that play into it. Um, but yeah, I think as far as like performance anxiety and stuff, that that's something a lot of people feel. Yeah, it does sound a little bit more environmental, just the pressures that women are dealing with, as well as, you know, there's uh, on the other side of that coin, there's the pressures that that boys and men are dealing with, which is the, almost the opposite. You know, it's, you know, you have to be tough. You're a man. You don't get anxious or nervous. You know, that's just not really in the language for, you know, a high testosterone group of young guys on the track. You know, they're not talking about their previous anxiety. They're thumping their chests and they're just you know, kind of that typical example of masculinity. There's more of that. And and I think that might, while it may not be healthy, it might protect them a little bit from that, from that stress. And I'm sure that plays a, a small part in it. Um, now I'd love to talk a little bit more about, uh, social media because you just mentioned this and, and I think, you know, you mentioned how we see a lot of images of runners and they typically look the same and, you know, I, I am seeing some different images of runners now. And I, and I think, you know, bigger platforms are using their platforms in a responsible way by showing how runners can look all different sorts of ways. And I think it's really easy for us all to fall into this comparison trap. And, you know, you dedicate a whole section of your book to talk more about how to use social media for productive reasons. Um, so what's your advice here, especially to younger women? Yeah, I wish that section was bigger. I loved our conversation with um, Dr. Holly Thorpe, a sports sociologist. We've talked to her on our podcast before. She's um, really interesting to talk to. We wanted to include that because I think that's such a new problem. You know, that's something I'm kind of glad we didn't have social media when I was in high school. I First of all, I would have wasted a ton of time on it because I know <laughs> I would have been stalking all the professional runners because I always was looking for magazine articles and books and anything I could find about uh, runners when I was that age. But it just would have been really hard to manage. It's hard to um, stay on the healthy side of social social media usage now as an adult. And I can't imagine what, like, young girls are, you know, maybe letting get into their heads when they look at even things like, you know, we know the body image issue is really a problem on there, but just um, comparing them their sports journeys to someone else's, you know, someone posts a workout or someone, you're just really aware of all the results right away. Maybe they're comparing themselves among their peers at the high school level. Um, and you have to let yourself go through your journey and develop at the rate you're going to. Like, I feel like I was lucky that I was just unaware of rankings and everything during my high school years in the early 2000s when there wasn't I wasn't even looking at the internet <laughs> and so I just didn't know if I was good or not and it just let me just let me you know train um and I thought just local results were progress and I wasn't um always comparing myself to 
someone who maybe had more years on me or had a different training plan or was doing an unsustainable training plan. So we wanted to talk to athletes about that. And um, just like it's a great source of motivation, but it can also be, I think there's more negatives to it than than positives. So um, it was good to hear from Holly about that and just how women are portrayed on there and how you kind of have to be aware of um, the messaging that girls are receiving by looking at that every day. Um, I don't really know too many tips and strategies other than like just being aware that it's it's Instagram so it's every or it's Facebook or it's you know any of these media um, outlets are like very curated and don't tell the whole story and just to focus on you know a lot of the women give this advice just to focus on your your journey and getting better every day um, and just letting that play out at the rate it's going to play out so yeah, it's it's a whole new thing that the kids are dealing with now. Yeah, like you said, I'm so glad I didn't have social media in high school and and even in college, I'd probably be behind bars, but <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, it's funny you say that because, you know, just today I was out running and it was very very cold out. My watch was being a little glitchy, you know, it would kind of have a delay with tracking the distance and then it would add a bunch of distance and so the the watch was just a little bit delayed and I was at the end of my run and I was at like 0.97 of the mile and I knew that I had gone to the next mile. It was just delayed and I just stopped and I realized, oh, but now on Strava, people are going to think that I only ran, you know, whatever 0.97 miles. And it's just this funny way that this performance we're all putting on for the internet is sort of seeping into our everyday lives where I probably ran actually more than the, you know, the couple miles that I was going to run. But because of the tech being a little glitchy, I'm all of a sudden worried about what people might think who I don't even know on some Strava account that I have. And it's, I can't imagine what a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old might be experiencing when someone like me who who's works on the internet all the time and, and is very much engaged in that world is still struggling with some of those you know, wanting to put on a performance for your followers or whoever, and and wanting to kind of display the everything in the best possible light. I, I think it's really hard. Is I know you said you didn't have any specific tips or pieces of advice here, but w- would it almost be beneficial to to delay getting on some of these social media platforms until you're a little bit older? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't have any expert advice, but I. I would want, you know, I would want my kids to wait. <laughs> Thinking forward, I would, I would just want their brains to mature a little bit. I mean, hi, even in high school, you already think everyone's looking at you all the time. And so, like you said, that feeling of like having some kind of audience, um, I just think it's an unhealthy level of pressure to have. And it's just um, something, yeah, something I think maybe we'll have a lot more information on like the actual damage that that can do. Uh, it sounds like there is some sort of information on that, that like, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter had. So, um, yeah, I'm waiting for like a psychologist to come out with some studies or maybe they're already out there, but I, I do think just kind of avoiding it for a little while until you're ready is probably the best thing, but it's, it's a powerful tool. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's become, it's funny when my career started, we kind of joked about Instagram and, um, 
just that it was like, oh, that's just like not something we take seriously. Like it's not important. And now it's such a big marketing tool and it's such a big um, way to tell your story. It's such a um, central part of like any high profile athletes like system of, you know, taking people along with the journey that like it's taken on a whole new life. So I never, yeah, it's, it's something I think worth talking about for the next generation. Yeah. I was reading recently how, you know, a lot of psychologists think that we've put our kids over the last 10, 15 years through this grand experiment of what happens when you expose these young developing brains to this technology that we don't know much about, you know, it's very new and especially for children, for kids, for teenagers, and even, even, you know, college students, it's so hard to figure out how that is affecting the brain and how that's affecting your long-term development that, like you said, I'm very interested in, uh, figuring some of that out. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, how I'm going to put this book on my coffee table for my, for my oldest daughter. She's already asking me for a cell phone and she's eight and a half years old. And like, I'm just terrified of what, you know, she could do with a cell phone, even at 10, 11, 12 years old. And so it's certainly something that, uh, I'm very interested in as I learn more about it and my kids get a little bit older. Um, Molly, in this book, you spoke to 50 high performing women runners. I would love to hear from all of their stories that you heard and compiled in this book, what commonalities did you discover among them? Was there a trend or a certain mindset that most of these women had that allowed them to achieve so much, that allowed them to sort of excel when so many other women sometimes struggle? Yeah. So we we asked everyone, um, we did interviews with the women and we asked them kind of this 12 question like core questions about their careers um, and just saw what themes arose that were similar. I mean, really the women, I think that there, there were a few themes that arose, but it also showed there's a lot of different ways to be successful. These women came from a lot of different backgrounds and um, had a lot of different answers that I think will relate to someone in a unique scenario. So that was good to see that like, Hey, there's a lot of ways you like figure out what works for you. It was a, was a big thing. Um, there's no like one way to do this. And none of them had straight trajectories. They all dealt with some things along the way. So that was good to see. It wasn't like only the strong survive. It was like, no, we're just people. I mean, we stuck with it. We had people around us that helped us figure it out. Um, and here's some lessons. Um, but there were some things that emerged that we thought were interesting. Like a lot of the women didn't specialize really early in track. Um, maybe like a few of them did, but if we, we need to get that percentage on it, but it would be like a majority of the book, like 90% of the women did other sports. Um, they didn't get super serious about running until, um, later, which was supported by Trent's, Trent Stellingworth's. Um, piece as well, you know, and um, Adam Tenforty too. They had stats saying if you played a ball sport pre-puberty, you know, before you got specialized into running, you had a 50% less chance of having a stress fracture as an elite runner or as a college runner, as a serious runner when you did decide to specialize. So um, that kind of backed up what they were saying. You know, they all played different sports and explored things before they, they honed in on running. And that makes sense too, because, you know, the meat of your career is in your mid to late twenties, even into your late thirties, we're seeing with some women. So 
it's just a lot of years if you start really hammering track workouts and going to, you know, world youth championships when you're seven and eight. (laughs) So that was interesting to see. Um, And I think probably some other advice that was really common um, was just promoting, like staying on your own unique trajectory, what works for you and not trying to get too caught up in what someone else is doing compared to yourself. So we know that's good advice. It just hits home more sometimes when the certain right person says it to you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's almost like you need that role model or mentor at the right time to give you the nudge in, in the right direction. And I actually think that the fact that there is no one right path is very encouraging for young women because it means that there's options and and they don't have to do something one specific way. They can, you know, grow and, and go on their own journey and kind of explore this for themselves. And, you know, they can be successful a lot of different ways. Um, and, and I think, you know, with, with you talking about how there's no one straight line to success, there's always going to be ups and downs. And, and I think that tracks with, uh, you know, the, the journey of most runners, you know, there's always going to be setbacks. And, and I think, if there are more setbacks for a young woman, especially as she's going through puberty, you know, that might be just part of the journey. And, and, and that's a normal part of the journey. So it shouldn't be looked at as, you know, I'm less than because I got hurt or I'm less than because I had a, you know, a bad couple months of, of training and racing. Well, you know, it just might be that, that, part of your, your life. And, you know, like you said, world records are set by people in their twenties. Molly, have I missed anything important that you'd like to add? I feel like we've talked a lot about the obstacles that young women face, both environmental and some of the the intrinsic things that are going to come with being a woman, and also, you know, how they can navigate those obstacles, both social media and physically and training and, and so many other different things. But is there anything that that we haven't discussed that you'd like to add? Um, I think just the yeah, like we're we're excited the book is out. We our intention with the book was to um sort of arm girls with some advice. You know, it's not all on them to fix some of the issues that <laughs> the system wasn't 100% serving them um with, but we want them to enter the sport with um you know sticking with it and coming out of it stronger, faster, and happier. Like those were our three things we want for girls who are in uh, track and field in distance running right now. And um, we hope that it provides a little bit of almost what I found when I came out of college, which was I went to a great group of women um, who taught me so much and, um, Providence, Rhode Island, with there are some of them are in the book, Kim Smith, Amy Rudolph, Roisin McGettigan. Um, and I felt like I was searching for that until I got there. You know, my uh, high school and college years, I was like, I feel like I'm just missing the edge I need. Like, what am I doing wrong? And so we hope this book can kind of like be a little bit like that. A high performance guide, mini training group that you can have in your living room. I love it. Now, Molly, you have said something twice now that I want to push back on. You said this is a great book for for young women. I think this is a great book for coaches and for parents too, because I am not a young woman, breaking news, uh, but 
I'm a parent of two young girls. And this is very interesting to me because, you know, I don't care if my girls end up as runners or whatever, but if they do, I'm going to be looking into this book in so much more detail to uncover little pieces of advice and and little tidbits that I think is going to help them. So uh, I, I think this is much more broadly useful for, for so many other types of people. So thank you and Sarah so much for writing it. I think it's a really great resource that's out there. Yeah, thank you. That's definitely like we had a target audience because they say you should speak to an audience. But um, it we think if you're a running fan, you'll like the book, uh, period. So um, and also it is great for coaches and parents because you're around your kids the most. And so it's it's important to be aware of that stuff. You can recognize if maybe you're under fueling or overtraining or any of those patterns. Um, so yeah, we definitely agree with you on that. So you're also saying I probably shouldn't push my six-year-old into uh, youth track and field at a high level. <laughs> at a high level is the key word. Yeah. Of course yeah. we want them to run, but um, let them like play around and do other sports too. And um, yeah, just kind of delay the intensity. <laughs> You know, when my oldest daughter was about three years old, we had dinner one night and she said, dad, I want to go running. And I said, okay. And, uh, we went outside and she just took off down the sidewalk. We ended up running about a mile and this girl was three years old. And yeah, we stopped a couple times and she was, you know, kids are natural fart leckers, right? You know, they, they sprint and they stop and then they just jog a little bit. But I, I think that's a great example of, of her leading the whole thing and, you know, I'm jogging slowly next to her and like flip flops. My stomach is full from dinner. I'm like, what, what is this kid <laughs> bringing me into? But uh, I, I always remember that as a really great child led activity that I would never want to bring my three year old on a run like that is training. That just doesn't seem fun for a little kid. But uh, if she wanted to do it, I think that's just fine. Yeah, definitely. I've heard similar stories from some of my friends whose kids are older and just getting into sports and just asking them to run and they're being really intentional about like, okay, they want to do it. How much do I let them get into it? And um, it's an interesting conversation to have from this side of this perspective because we know so much from our days running. Yeah, yeah. And I think us being similar ages, I think we we grew up in a time where we learned a couple things of what not to do with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with training for, for younger people, for sure. uh, especially younger women. And hopefully we bring that into our lives as adults. So Molly, thanks so much for your time today. Congrats on how she did it. It's a great resource. I can't wait to share it with people and put it on my coffee table. Thanks so much, Jason. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and if so, please pay it forward and send the show to a running friend. Do connect with Molly on Instagram. Her handle is easy, at Molly Huddle, and her new book is How She Did It. You can find that anywhere books are sold. Now, if you enjoy the Strength Running Podcast, you can support us by supporting our sponsors. I believe in these companies. They help me publish all of these episodes, and they're doing great work for the running community. Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with for years and years, and I hope to continue for even more years to come. They're one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies that you can find. Founded in 2009 by aging genetics and biometric scientists to help you analyze your body's data and get a good idea of how well you're responding to all that training that you're doing. They have an ultra-personalized nutrition platform that helps you understand your body's biomarkers, from stress hormones to testosterone and even vitamin D, 
All these can help you figure out if you're overtraining, if you're undertraining, or if you might have a health issue that could be negatively impacting your running. But the best part is, after they give you your results, they give you these personalized optimal ranges for each of those biomarkers. And if any of your biomarkers are outside of those ranges, they have a whole host of ways to improve them through diet, lifestyle, or exercise changes. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and the process is simple, it's easy, and it's very eye-opening if you haven't done a deep dive on your biomarkers yet. Just about a month or two ago, I learned that my cortisol levels were elevated as well as having low vitamin D, which can be common when you're a little bit stressed out. And now that it's the very beginning of spring, I can focus a little bit more on getting some sunshine and taking a good vitamin D supplement. So now that I know what I actually need to address, I can keep my health moving forward. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning, and you can see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the purchases you can make for your running, this one can actually improve your performances by improving your health. It's a wonderful opportunity, and all the details can be found at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. I'm also excited about our newest sponsor, Therabody, and their Recovery Air Jet Boots. You've probably seen pro runners wearing these fancy boots, and that's because they're effective. If you want sound recovery from all your hard workouts, a big part of that is circulation. One of the reasons why massage feels so good after a hard effort is because of circulation. It brings fresh, oxygenated blood to your legs. The Recovery Air by Therabody does that without needing someone to give you a massage. You can just do it on the couch while you watch Netflix. And what I really love about the Recovery Air Jet Boots is that the pressure travels from your feet on up to your heart. And this is a graduated approach that's more effective. And the compression goes beyond your normal blood pressure while also monitoring it carefully to prevent overconstriction. My personal preference is to use the boots the day after a hard day, so I'm not giving my legs more than they can handle. So sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash Jason to get your Therabody recovery air today, starting at just $699 or as low as $59 a month with a firm. Plus, with recovery air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping, there's no risk. That's therabody.com slash Jason. All right, my friends. Thank you for being here. We'll be in touch very soon. Very soon.